keep your ideas weird and wild. That's what today's guest, Jörg Reinbold, founding CEO of APX, the joint accelerator program of Axel Springer and Porsche, learned to do from childhood. Jörg was previously CEO of the Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator, which invested in more than 100 companies, including N26. He's a verifiable ideas man whose edge lies in his ability to take dreams and make them reality. This week, we're talking to him about where he finds inspiration, communicating your vision, and investing in winners. Do you want to know how to get the right people in the room for your event? Are you curious about the communication clues that spell success? Do you feel ready to do that thing you've always wanted to do? Then tune in to learn from the man who landed Bill Gates as a speaker for his college conference. Enjoy. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world The thing that I was really fascinated by, and it always have been, is Finally, technology did something. Wondering right. what would be the single most valuable piece of advice you'd give us? Because we found what we loved to do. And we that people right with passion can change the world for the better. That's what we believe. Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Speak Like a CEO, the podcast where we look into the secrets and pitfalls of CEO communications. We have a wonderful guest today, Jörg Reinbold. He is the founding CEO of APX. That's the Axel Springer and Porsche Accelerator Program. Prior to that, Jörg was CEO of Axel Springer Plug and Play since 2013, an accelerator that has invested in more than 100 companies, uh, including such heavyweights as N26 and Block Foster. Even as a student, Jörg managed to land Bill Gates at a conference, which is quite amazing. I obviously want to dive into that. Um, and uh, led him to realize two things. You can ask anyone anything and you don't, you own your own limits. So he carried forward this attitude forward to his career uh, at Denkwerk, first company founded in 1994. In 1999, he co-founded Alando.de, which was acquired by eBay slightly, you know, a few months later, um, where he stayed on at eBay Germany as the managing director for five years. But uh, since then, he's also brought TEDx to Germany and many other things. So there's lots to talk about and Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Something impressive resume. And I'm we wanted old. To <laughs> I had a lot of time. <laughs> we just wanted to kick off with a few rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. um, so do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. Do you work better early in the morning or late at night? Undecided. Who's your biggest inspiration? Oh, that's a difficult one. Lots of different people. Right now, I think my son's. Most used app on your phone? It changes all the time. Facebook or Twitter? Both. And one thing on your bucket list. Spend more time outdoors this year. I like that. And the weather Very is good. suddenly warming up in Berlin, so... Definitely. Um, I already mentioned the intro Bill Gates and the fact that you won him over to speak at your student conference. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, where was it? What sort of conference was it? And how the hell did you get Bill Gates? Yeah, so it, it actually it was my second semester. I was bored from only, um, only studying and um, joined a student initiative that organizes conferences and were like 15 people thinking about what are interesting topics. That was in... I think 93, so long ago. And we discussed that digital will probably influence the way we work a lot. And back then, some people might remember there were discussions like what is going to win the internet or proprietary online yeah. services. A lot and of people bet against the internet, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And actually, and that's the really weird thing, I think the internet in the end has lost. But I'm not, like, ready yeah. to, to <laughs> let it loose, so that's another discussion, yeah. the free internet. But we were thinking about who, who are the people who are influencing our lives a lot and who will play big roles in how everything will become more digital. And then we were sitting around a table, 
and said Bill Gates and Microsoft, they, they are one of the biggest players in the digital um, economy that was just starting. And we were like, we need to invite him. And we were like, how do you invite Bill Gates? Let's call Microsoft. <laughs> and then we called Microsoft in Seattle and asked that we want Bill Gates as a speaker. Their first reaction was, he doesn't speak at commercial conferences. And then we said, well, that's good. We are not commercial. We are a student conference. And then I think their strategy to get rid of us was saying, okay, student conferences he likes. Um, If you come to Seattle, you'll get five minutes to pitch. And I think no one right. ever has the money to go there. <laughs> We had. So one of us flew over and got five minutes. With Bill Gates. With in, Bill Gates. A, in his office. In his office. And right. uh, he said, that's really cool. Actually, it's also at the same time CBIT is happening, the, the computer fair that back then still existed. And uh, he said, I wanted to go there anyway, so I'll come. And wow. he came. And it was actually <laughs> super easy. I'm <laughs> sure easier said than done, yeah. really. Actually, it was like this. It's just that you have to dare uh, to call and, yeah. and talk to everyone and then just invest in flying over there and, and uh, actually talking to him. And once we had him, we could get anyone else. And then we just called anyone we wanted. And they asked, so who else is coming as a speaker? And then we would list like two or three more like not so famous people and then Bill Gates and then you're like I'm in I'm coming yeah wow I guess so you said before that your inspiration changes all the time at the time it was Bill Gates and now it's your son if you were to be throwing a conference today who would you want to invite that's a huge topic among the list of topics I'm working on because we are discussing a lot what is the next format for conferences and who should be the people attending. And right now, I think more in dimensions of not having one or two big keynote speakers, but rather creating conferences where anyone who attends could be the keynote speaker and then creating more of, a, of an exchange. But that's a, that's a very personal thing. I have a little bit uh, of a TED fatigue because I, I think that... Listening to brilliant ideas is really good, but I think you also need to like turn this into action. This is something I'm having some discussions with friends on, on okay, what's the next level of conferences mm. and how can we build this? And here at APX, you guys are running some very different kinds of events and a lot of them. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's, I think, something that, that comes out of in my early days is, is just doing things and trying things and, and not thinking a lot about them, but also trying something and then adjusting it while we learn. So we do evening events here around all kinds of topics. The most important ones for us obviously are founders and the challenges they are facing. And with our idea that there are so many founders on this planet and a lot of them don't really get through to the classic... VC world, we think that creating opportunities for a very colorful crowd of people mm -hmm. and creating inclusive formats and inclusive offerings to really support the best founders gives us a lot of opportunities to, to create very nice evenings with, with very, very, very diverse people who come here and then we, we try to meet the best founders and yeah. invest into them and That's basically our business model. And what have you found works in these circumstances and what doesn't work? I mean, you said you experiment a lot. So 
What works is this mix of hands-on and hands-off when it comes to having decided that we want to work with a company, investing into them, and then finding the right balance of, on the one hand, creating lots of opportunities for them to meet investors, to meet potential business partners, to meet people who want to work with them, then creating learning opportunities where you can like sharpen your tools or, or learn new tools to, to do what you actually need to do. And then as a third point, creating an environment where you can actually get work done. And this balance is next to impossible because there's always great opportunities to learn, to interact, to, to like meet, and you still need to, to get done what you need to do. And all this in combination with creating something that allows the companies to do all this without telling them what to do. This is also important. If we knew how to build these companies, we should be doing it and not them. So yeah. we can only inspire the founders. We can create opportunities for them. We can create um, learning opportunities for them. But they have to do the work and we should not interfere in their decisions. We can remind them what they wanted to do and show them patterns, how they can they might be successful. This is more than we can actually um, do in a day. Mm. Would you say it's a two-way learning street then? So you show them uh, what you know and vice versa, yeah, you learn something back? Yeah, of course. Back. We always try to find patterns, um, patterns how to identify the right founders on an individual level, how, patterns on identifying the right teams on like a team level, patterns on identifying business models and ideas and also patterns of investor readiness, when do investors invest into companies, how do you have to develop a financing strategy, and how can we also help to create patterns of companies coming from Europe becoming international unicorn, which is not that easy because usually the, the big VCs in later stages, they rather invest into American companies or Chinese companies. As the world is changing all the time, we we want to be an active participant in the whole ecosystem of startups. It really seems clear that you are active and everything um, that you've just told us kind of like leads to the point that you should just get out there and do things. Um, do you think about things a lot as well? Yeah, and I think that's the important thing is doing things and then reflecting on um, what does this mean and, and what can I learn from this? Are there any any patterns that I can see? And also like building a team and facilitating there and, and helping to do all these things to to create this environment and to allow everyone to develop to their full potential which um, also has like its challenges with like our team being so international and coming from so many different parts of the world with so many different uh, socializations and way, way you, where they learned, where they grew up. It's super nice, but it's also sometimes really challenging. can imagine. I mean, if there's a thread in your career, it's probably that you dare to dream big, but that you also manage to persuade people and take people along to help you realize your dream. I wanted to dive into that mm -hmm. a little bit about mm -hmm. the dreaming big and then the persuasion. So maybe let's start with the dreaming. Were you always someone who had big ideas and big dreams and, and just dared to do it? Or is it something that as you realize yeah. that if you pursue things, then yeah good things happen yeah i think i never had limits but well i do have limits but my father died when i was very young so um, i didn't have any father figure in my life which also which had some disadvantages like not having a father i think it's not too great and but not having a father who's a role model means i didn't have any father coming home or a mother coming home showing me what their limits were so my mother made sure that I would meet 
a lot of her friends who did really weird, wild, successful, unsuccessful, like super diverse things. And she always told me, you are your own limit. So you can do what you want. You have to do it in order to do it. And then at university, she just made sure that like I would finish school, then uh, university. And then she basically let me do what I wanted to do, obviously, because she, how could she hinder me? And then I did what I wanted to do. And I make a lot of plans, but I never made a, like a life plan because I... That's one learning from uh, from my father. He always told me, I need to work a little bit more um, and harder, and then uh, we have time later. And then he, he suddenly died. And I was like, this shall not happen to me. I will always, like, I don't think you can balance your life from birth to death. That's too long. I also don't think you can balance your life on a daily basis. But I think you need to to really be very careful how you want to balance your life. And I think one big, um, for at least for me, change or, or um, milestone, or however you want to call it, was when my twin sons were born. Because that, for me, meant I need to reorganize my life in a way that I have time for them. So I continuously uh, try to, to, um, to balance things out so that in, with a meta perspective there's a potential that my life is good mm -hmm. for me. Would you basically say then that you're prioritizing what's important to you at that time, always? Yeah, yeah, it's like ultra-egoistic. Um, but for me, like, as I am very happy when my surroundings are very happy, I, um, yeah, I try to, to, to balance things and, and topics in a way that I, I'm part of something that creates opportunity and I'm part of something that that creates opportunity for potential to grow. Also with the, the non-profit Better Place that, that I co-founded like 11 years ago with friends. That also for me was, and, and still is, super important. And there was a time where I was spending like days per week with Better Place and, and now it's hours per month that I spend with them. It's still super important to me. But it, it now is, I, I think the people who run it right now, they are very happy that I only have like hours per, per month because <laughs> they, they are doing it and my role has changed completely. And this is also something I always do when I start something. I um, immediately start to work on, on me being redundant so then I can do something, something <laughs> else or I can like focus on something else. I mean, everything you described so far from, uh, you know, the group of students who approached Bill Gates to what you do today at APX uh, involves teams of people mm -hmm. and I think you're someone who's sort of uh, very happy working with other people and you have a great team here how do you you know moving on from the dreaming stage to the persuasion stage how do you persuade people and how do you take them with you on that journey which is often quite ambitious and as you said you often have to work harder you have to put in the extra mile for, for things to work out the way you you want them I, I think it's if I have to persuade them then probably they're not the right ones um, <laughs> no it's more do they do they also see the potential do they also want to be part of building something usually it's it's a mix of of diamonds and rough diamonds that mm -hmm. when whenever um, i or usually together with others start to build organizations there are some people who who are like very obviously very very good and also some people where we we think like oh there's a lot of potential in that person let's put them in a position and see how 
how they develop, how, how their potential will develop. Quite often this works, and that usually is, is like super happy times, <laughs> but also there's a lot of friction, and sometimes it, it works only after a lot of friction. And then it's, uh, it's like my or, or our, our role to mediate, to, to help people talk to each other, to keep the, keep the dialogue going and still working on getting to what success looks like. Yeah. Is, is there an example that comes to mind where you had to mitigate and sort of negotiate? Yeah, lots. Lots. And also things that went wrong. There was a time at, at eBay when we started to be very successful and growing very, very fast, we suddenly were able to hire um, superstars. So I had some, uh, there was a time when, when we had interviews with people who wanted to work with us, where I had to go into a meeting room 10 minutes prior to the interview just to laugh for five minutes about the fact that I'm going to interview someone who wants to work for the company where I work, a person I, a year earlier, would, would have like so wanted to get a meeting with that person. And now this, this person is applying for a job. <laughs> that happened like five times and was amazing, the feeling. And then like most of the hirings went very well. But there also was like one or two where we hired superstar people who had very special character traits that were not inclusive but that were very like silo oriented and very something that I hadn't seen before and uh, also like a, a huge learning but, and also a lot of work. Mm -hmm. You talk about this shift in I guess like one year time frame you know from you wanting to get meetings with some people to the other way around. For entrepreneurs who think they have you know like the next big idea or a, a really big dream that they want to achieve and they're so convinced by it and they're you know, motivated and passionate and excited. What's your, like, best advice for, I guess, getting people on board with you to kind of believe in that dream and understand where this could take them into the future? Yeah, take the time and talk about the dream. Like, really make sure that you share a vision and that you share also a set of values, how you want to get there and how you want to treat each other, what hardworking means for everyone, what how you want to treat your team members, how you want to be treated, how you actually want to work. And with... With a lot of teams, when we do our, uh, when we when we select companies we want to invest into, um, we see this quite often that they haven't spent enough time doing this. And usually, especially in early stage, um, this is how companies break. It's usually not because their idea doesn't work. If if they are a great team, they will just like pivot and do something else. But if something's wrong within the team, um, this will usually break the company. And that's what we look for when we when we do our um, selection sessions and all the things we do they're all focused around is this a good team are the individuals good and is the combination of them is this a good combination and and will will there be a strong team who will make this dream come true how do you tease it out of people though because i'm sure they come in and they all tell you we are a great team and we work yeah. together and we're all on the same page we want the same thing we have the same hunger yeah and you have to question that right yeah, and find yeah. out what is that yeah. actually the truth yeah it's like weak signals you have you can look out for and you can like when you talk to each other you can like ask one person after and after and go deep and then see how the others like jump in um it's also how how they present and also when you just ask an open question and and look at everyone you will see how they look at each other and like direct 
questions and when we see like yellow flags we we try to go deeper and we try to to understand do they really share the same vision and values and have they discussed this what do you mean exactly by yellow flags when you when we select companies we on the one hand parts of us and we switch these roles want to do the deal and others have more like this cautious approach and and their job is to to identify reasons why we shouldn't invest and those we we call yellow or red flags so a yellow flag for example would be if they don't have a clear understanding of their competition that or that would actually be a red flag mm. and then we would <laughs> we would ask them some questions about that and we would look at the the materials they 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 shared with us to find out how do they how do they deal with this and then We, we do, for example, um, we don't do a pitch anymore. We do a venture development session. I think Henrik talked about this, where we spend 45 minutes to an hour with them working on topics that they are interested in. And while doing this, we see how they interact with us, with each other, how they deal with experiences we share with them. Also, we sometimes try how do they react to advice we give. And then it's like if they take everything and say, like, yeah, that's good, we'll do it. Then we're like, why do you take all the advice we give you? You should have better ideas than us. But it's also like how coachable are they? Like are they open for input? And do they reflect on, on what we talk about? Is there anything in your books that either is like, you know, the green flag go for gold if they do this one thing, then yes, you absolutely have to invest? No, unfortunately not. Okay. That would be super nice. And how um, about conversely? <laughs> is there a red flag, you know, the minutes? Yeah, when they yeah. don't, when they, when you see that they have an issue in the team. One obvious issue we sometimes see is that parts of the founder team think they are at eye level and other parts, usually that's just one person, has a very hierarchical idea of how, a founder how this founder team works. This usually doesn't really work for a long time. And you see that more often than we thought, that, that the founders haven't really talked about why are we doing this together. And what can they do? I mean, you're an ideas man and, and you've managed to persuade many people of many things, even though you don't want to put it that way. But um, conversely, how do people persuade you? You said there's no green flag, but what mm. are the, you know, the, the greenish flags you look out yeah, for? It's, it's the team, the team, the idea and, um, and the timing. So the timing is just the context. Uh, if the timing is right, that could be a green flag, but then we still need the team and the idea to fit. And the team, when we see, basically when we see a brilliant team, where we after like the little time we spent with them, think those people will start something amazing. Yeah. We actually don't care what it is, we just want to invest. <laughs> And that's something that only us can do because we invest not that much in the beginning. 50,000 euros is a lot of money, but it's something where you sometimes can say that this is a brilliant team, we shall invest into those people. And we will see if they can like do what they plan to do. And then we see what they do. Why do you think it's so important to invest in people as opposed to, you know, the idea or the, the, the product? Yeah. I think when you're later stage, um, this changes. So when you when you do um, A rounds or B rounds as an investor, um, then then you invest into the idea and the organization and the, the risk profile is different. In the very early stage, it's just a few people who have an idea and it's the people who have to create the company so if there's any doubt that they will be able to do it the idea just doesn't matter because 
an idea itself is nice but worthless in a way. It's the turning this idea into a reality. That's what counts. Yeah, so ideas are ten a penny, aren't they? So yeah. they're, <laughs> they're everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and how, how important is it for the teams to communicate clearly what they're up to, who they are, what the idea is? I think in the end it's very important. Um, in the beginning, some, some are not capable of doing this, so then it's our job to understand what they try to say, mm -hmm. yeah, especially when, when their life before they started the company was not so much about communication but more about doing things, like sometimes with like heavy tech-oriented um, teams. They, they just haven't learned a lot in, uh, about how to communicate. They learned a lot about how, um, how to build something. And um, then we, we sometimes say, well, that's what we, why we do the program. We will help you to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. And you said you've been doing this now for a long time. Do you think your own style of communication has changed? Yes, very much. And, and I think also recently, I hope that it has changed. We invested into one company called Sharpest. And um, they do a product that allows you to get coaching from um, business coach through a more virtual setup. So... I can work with my coach through my cell phone and we do like video sessions. Since we invested into them, I really wanted to try out, does this help? And my coaching experience was in the past always like life coaching with like a coach who spent time with me in a room and they said, ah, this is not necessary where well, it's nice, but it's also e doable through, through phone and video. I started doing this, did an assessment like you always do. What, what do I want to learn? What do I need to learn? And uh, one of my challenges is clari clarity in my communication because waterfalls that come out of me with like, depending on whom you talk to, 20 to 50% uh, high quality content and the rest is just water. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm, tr I'm also trying to improve all, trying to, um, to be more precise and, and more clear and also add a layer of reflection where I... Uh, ask the person I'm talking to, was this clear? Did you understand what I tried to say? And yeah, I, I always can improve, I think. What do you think is it, is it so hard to communicate clearly in, in, in that context? Yeah, because there are so many languages. And um, so, for example, we, we do most of the things we do in English. We have very few native English, spe English speakers on our team. Me, for example, my, my German is so much better than my English. And I think a lot of, a lot of the facets and, and the little details I can express when I speak German, I completely miss them when I speak English. So I, I need to, to find a proper level and also like this, this back reflection level of making sure that I actually said what I intended to say, especially when it comes either important or emotional situations or situations where there are multiple layers of communication happening at the same time, then not being aware that something you say as a literal translation of German in English might be hyper-offensive <laughs> or might be received in a different way. That's for all sure. of us to learn all the yeah. time, especially with all the startups around. And when we talk with them, some are like over-diplomatic. Then sometimes we are used to be like super direct which can also irritate people. And so we always have to work on how to communicate and talk to each other and, and understand, trying to understand what we actually try to say to each other. Do you think it is an advantage to be a native English speaker in this kind of environment? Or do you think that everyone's dealing with this challenge of having to communicate in English and thus it puts people in a 
you know, like an even playing field of not being able to express your thoughts quite I as think clearly it, as you'd yeah, like. Yeah, it depends. I think in, in general, if you if you are in... in uh, mm, no, I think it's an, it, it might be an advantage, especially when you work with, um, with U.S. funds and investors who are very often very native English speaking. Yeah, it's even more important to have very clear communication and, and, and see if you actually say what you intend to say and if they understand what you intend to say. Do you think that sometimes non-English native speakers think more think harder about how they want to um, communicate their ideas because, you know, the not being native speaker forces? Yes and no. I think the depending on how you how well you prepare the the sharing your idea, like if you prepare or when you prepare a presentation, then I think everyone is thinking hard about how mm -hmm. to like pack it. If it's on a, in a conversation, then it's also something that you need to train can like right. explicitly or implicitly train it cool so we're about to wrap up but um we were curious to know what's coming up for you in the next few months here at APR. so hopefully oh, i'm very much looking forward to actually run as we are as in running as in running just like <laughs> doing the things we do uh, we this year we 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 joked that this year might be in a very nice way a little bit boring because we We don't have to start ourselves from zero like we did last year. Our house will not be torn down like next year. <laughs> so this year we actually we have a home. We have a team that's um, brilliant with minor challenges we are all working on. Um, we have some great opportunities for the companies. We um, Right now our shareholders love us and they let us do a lot of things. So that's also good. And we... Basically, we just want to invest into a lot of companies, create the the coolest program, and um, and work on our our plan to to find the future unicorns in Europe and maybe some other countries where no one is looking for them. Right? How do you become a European unicorn? <laughs> I only <laughs> one knew. billion dollar question. <laughs> one billion euro question. Yeah. yeah so no, we, with Access Springer Plug and Play, we luckily invested into one of them and. Um, Finding patterns is super hard. So, yeah, yeah and, and we always joke, if they would have come to us, it's N26, if they would have come to us and would have said in our first pitch, we are two founders and we want to start a new bank, we would probably have said this is not going to Lopped happen. them out of the room. <laughs> But how did they convince you then? Well, they came and said, we are, we are two founders and our plan is to create um, a credit card for teenagers. And then we're like, the, those guys really know what they're doing. We like them a lot, thought they will do something. And we also thought that the credit card actually is doable, that uh, financial literacy and financial education is super important. That was also something that resonated a lot with, um, with Axel Springer, where they said this is something that is truly an issue for, for anyone in, German, in the German society, just get, being more aware of how you deal with money. Um, and then, then they started and they pivoted, and they don't didn't pivot out of um, like a weakness, but they pivoted out of out of um, the strength of their idea into into a bank. Right, and so the, their dream became bigger than they initially. Yeah, I think, dared to, I think to, but I don't know. Did I they tone it down for them. the pitch to make it sound more realistic? I, I think they always had in their mind that ah, they will okay. they will do something <laughs> bigger, but I think they also are very, very good at pitching. Yeah.
Perfect. Amazing. Is there any final piece of advice? Uh, you said you want to invest in a lot of companies, ideally this year. So for those out there who you know, may be interested, interested in, in pursuing that, is there, is there any final piece of advice? Yeah, like connect with us. Um, check out our website. Check out if we might be the right investor um, for you. And um, come and visit us. We have so many events happening. And on our meetup page, you will f- find all of them. And come and see us. Talk to us. Wonderful. Connect with us. That's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Speak Like a CEO. Your hosts were Oliver Aust and Lena Carlson, editing by Shoshana Richards. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and to follow us everywhere at like a CEO underscore. See you next week. Bye.